Clinic podcast. My name is Alicia Schertz. I'll be your host for this episode. Someone in the United States has a stroke every 40 seconds. Survivors can often face reduced mobility and lasting effects, particularly if the symptoms of stroke aren't recognized. We're joined today by Dr. Ziad Darkabani, interventional neurologist at Aurora Bay Care Medical Center in Green Bay, Wisconsin, to talk about stroke, stroke symptoms, and what actions need to be taken in order to reduce the severity of stroke-related complications. Thanks for joining us today, doctor. You're welcome, Alicia. So let's start just by talking about some of the data. A lot of people are affected by stroke. Can you elaborate on some of those numbers? Stroke is um, a very important um, problem in healthcare in regard to mortality and morbidity. Um, it is the sixth leading cause of death, obviously, with last year with the COVID, um, but typically we say it's the fifth leading cause of death. Um, stroke is a very important source of disability. Um, if you go to a nursing home and if you look at patient um, who's, who resides in a nursing home, the single disease that can put a patient in a nursing home usually is a stroke. Um, if you go there um, to a nursing home facility, um, usually the main reason for people to go there is what we call multifactorial, multiple diseases and illness and age um, team up against the patient that unfortunately put the patient there. However, stroke as one entity alone, as a single leading cause, can put a very healthy, productive young person in a nursing home and unfortunately sometimes for life. Yeah, and let's talk about what's actually happening to someone when they suffer a stroke. Can you talk about the medical aspect of that? So stroke is one area of the brain that struggle basically in getting nutrient and oxygen. Um, usually that happen in two different ways. The first common way, what people mean when they usually use the word stroke, is depriving the tissue from oxygen by blockage, basically. The blood does not reach um, to that area of the brain because of a blockage in the blood vessel. The other type of stroke is what we call hemorrhagic stroke or brain bleed, basically, or simply. Um, brain bleed, it's a burst or rupture of a vessel that lead to accumulation of a blood in this area that affect, unfortunately, this area, damage it, but also deprive a blood in the surrounding area because of the pressure related to the blood. Both type of stroke are, as you can imagine, very devastating type. Yeah, and does this affect, let's talk about demographics a little bit. You talked about um, some of the nursing home patients, those kinds of things. Age is certainly a factor. Does this affect a wide variety of the population? Absolutely. So when we educate people about stroke, we like always to indicate that this can affect anybody at any age, um, both gender, all races, stroke can affect anybody. Now, as you mentioned, it affects mostly patients older than 65. This is a group of around 50% of the patient between the age of 65 to 85. However, also it might affect anybody at any age, as I indicated. A patient between the age of 45 to 65, they have nearly 25% of stroke nearly in that age group. Even patients less than 45 years of age um, almost around 18% of stroke happen at that demographic. So when we, again, when we educate people about stroke, we like to enforce the idea that it can affect anybody. That's why everybody needs to learn about the stroke, learn about the stroke prevention, the signs and symptoms, how to live with the stroke, and how to prevent stroke. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I know we're going to get into that a little bit in our conversation today. But let's talk about um, some of those risk factors um, that, that you just mentioned. What are some of the risk factors that we should all be aware of um, in regards to what could potentially lead to a stroke? So the most important risk factor is high blood pressure. Um, high blood pressure, especially uncontrolled, long-standing for many years, untreated, um, that can lead to both kind of stroke, as we indicated earlier, the hemorrhagic type and the ischemic type. Um, second, most important reason for stroke is smoking. Um, smoking and high blood pressure have the ability to damage the vessel, and this way increase, again, both type of bleed and ischemia. Um, the third cause and the third risk factor um, is high cholesterol. Um, additional factors, sometimes diabetes is a very important factor as well. Um, atrial fibrillation, which is abnormal rhythm in the heart, that also can lead to stroke. Um, if any of these risk factors exist, patient should have very um, should be aware of these risk factors. He should address or she should address those risk factors with their primary care physician and manage them as aggressively as possible. Absolutely. Um, I want to talk about the symptoms um, because this is so important in recognizing when a stroke is actually happening. And I know there's an acronym that you like to use um, known as FAST. Can you talk a little bit about the symptoms um, of stroke and what people should be watching for? So the FAST acronym um, it's basically a simple way to remember the most important sign and symptoms of stroke. FAST uh, stands for F for facial drooping, A, arm or leg weakness, S stands for speech or language difficulties. Uh, the T was added to the acronym to um, enforce the importance of time when it comes to management and to recognizing stroke. Now, um, there is other symptoms of stroke. There is balance problem, um, some other symptoms, vision changes, um, sudden onset of feeling the word spinning, um, sudden onset of hearing loss. Now, the most important aspect of everything I mentioned is the sudden onset. And the word stroke itself, um, with the old name of stroke used to be apoplexy, which in, basically means um, struck violently with thunder or by thunder. And when they translated or the, when they decided to change the word from apoplexy, um, they chose the word stroke because it still basically um, enforced the meaning of the sudden onset. And that's a very important aspect and very important uh, element to recognize when we educate patients to deal with the stroke. Um, Again, I would like to repeat the, the FAST acronym because it's a rather simple um, acronym, easy for the patient to remember, um, and it makes sense. And the word FAST itself is also indicate multiple things. It indicates that stroke happens suddenly, but it also indicates that you need to act fast as well. So F, again, stands for facial weakness. A for arm or leg weakness, S for speech difficulties, and T, time to call 911. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you talked about it a little, but um, the sudden onset being being one way that people can sort of, because these are pretty common symptoms, um, and we want to be able to help people decipher these symptoms as 
versus ones maybe related to some other health concern. Um, do these symptoms always present the same in everybody who's having a stroke or not really? Um, not really. Um, patient can have different symptoms. Uh, depends on the location of the brain, depends on that part of the brain function. Uh, some area of the brain responsible for language, some area responsible for strength, some area responsible for balance, for vision. So it depends on the area of the brain that's affected, we will, patient will have basically these symptoms. Um, another factor is important. Usually when stroke happens, except obviously for language difficulty, usually it affects one part of the body, um, or I mean one side of the body. So for example, patient present with left-sided weakness. It's very difficult for stroke to be both sides. Um, you know, you hear sometimes patients like, I feel tired altogether. That's usually not stroke. Stroke usually on one side of the body. And that's also an important um, element to differentiate because, as you mentioned, a lot of these symptoms can happen. Numbness, tingling, um, sometimes generalized weakness, feeling lightheaded. Those do not represent stroke. Now, that does not mean when the patient have a sudden feeling of any unusual feeling um, that they should ignore it. We should definitely recognize that and take it seriously. However, if we recognize the sign of symptoms of stroke and understand the way um, stroke present, that will help the patient recognize it faster, help the patient also act on it faster, and be more aggressive um, in contacting ambulance services, seeking help, and seeking medical care. Absolutely. And um, we're going to get into into some of that medical care and, and the treatment options available for stroke in just a moment. I do want to bring up, because um, this is something that, that many of our listeners have probably heard about, and, and you had mentioned it briefly too, but COVID-19 has impacted so much of our lives. Um, unfortunately, there's some data to suggest that COVID-19 may also play a role in the increase of sudden stroke in some patients. Do you want to elaborate a little bit on that information just um, for the people who may have been hearing about that? Oh, absolutely. So there is many studies or many reports suggested that, especially for patients with risk factor with diabetes and high blood pressure and older patients, that it increased the risk for these patients to have a stroke. Now, However, there is a lot of observation we noticed and multiple reports also confirmed that, that we start seeing an unusual pattern of stroke with large vessel clots basically in, in very young, healthy patient otherwise. Um, there is some theories behind that. There is some theories that it increases um, the thickness of the blood, what we call viscosity. There are some other factors was blamed on the possibility of increased inflammation. But overall, that um, accepted kind of theory behind it that it increased the clotting in the system, regardless of the exact mechanism that yet to be determined. Uh, as you already understand, we're still learning about the disease, about the COVID-19 and its effect. Um, but definitely there is um, a very um, noticeable observation about patient, young patient presenting with unusual clotting, um, sometimes might affect different parts of the body, but we've definitely seen it in the stroke as well. Yeah, interesting. And, and, and I, perhaps maybe just more important why we all need to sort of understand the warning signs so that we can be watching for some of those other stroke symptoms, even if it is COVID-19 that, that brought it on. 
Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, COVID-19 can cause a lot of also neurological um, symptoms, sometimes brain fogging, confusion. Um, obviously, the most common one that most patients are aware of, the lack of smell and taste or decreased smell or taste in some patient. Um, so these symptoms also, you know, well recognized with COVID-19 and their neurological symptoms. In the hospital, we see patients more confused than other patients with different kind of condition. Um, so it definitely has its effect on the central nervous system, on the brain. Um, however, stroke is a one um, recognized also risk um, associated with COVID-19, as far as we know today. Absolutely. I want to circle back and, and talk about that time factor, um, sort of that last letter of that acronym that you had mentioned, and, and, and talk about why that is so important. Um, I've heard you use the, the, the phrase, time is brain. Can you talk about, um, you know, the, the importance of getting treatment quickly if you do recognize the symptoms of stroke? Definitely. So time of, uh, is brain is one of my favorite um, phrases, honestly, because it really reflects um, the importance of time passing on um, the damage that might happen on the brain. It reflects also um, the fact that if we intervene early, that we can reverse a lot of these symptoms associated with a stroke. Um, when the blood blockage happens in one vessel that supplies certain part of the brain, every minute, nearly two million cells will die. The brain is going to fight. The heart is going to try to push the blood pressure up to supply that area of the brain with as much as possible of a blood from the nearby vessel. However, this compensation mechanism, unfortunately, um, might destined to fail if the blockage continue there when the blood pressure go down, when the time pass by, and the tissue starts slowly dying. Now, when I meant slowly, still in a very scary, fast rhythm, when I, when I mentioned 2 million cells almost a minute, um, and we're talking about connections between the cells, what we call synopsis, we're talking about miles and miles of those connections that basically give the brain the function that it does, basically. Now, when we intervene only, uh, when we intervene on the brain fast, we really make a difference because we're able to reverse that effect. We're, we'll be able to open the vessel and we stop this fast progression of basically destruction to the brain. Um, the importance of time also shown in many studies, the sooner we intervene on patient, the better the outcome. Um, when we talk about, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, about certain procedure when we open the vessel, if we're open, able if we're able to open the vessel within the first couple hours, we notice sometimes up to 80% of the patient might have a great outcome, which is four out of five um, patients, basically. If we wait five to six hours, this number significantly decline almost to 20 to 30%. So now we're talking about one in five. And there is a big difference. Those two, three hours made a difference of majority of patients do great, or the majority of patients don't. So we cannot um, basically talk enough about the importance of time when it comes to stroke. The sooner we intervene, the better. Let's get into some of those treatment options, as you, as you mentioned. Um, one of the, the first things that you guys and your team can do is, is something called these clot-busting drugs. 
Can you talk a little bit about those and, and what they do to help in this situation? So the clot busting drugs, it's a medication. Uh, the job of this, we call them thrombolytics. Um, I like the term clot busting because it really reflects also what, what thrombolytics is. Um, it was basically um, approved in the mid-90s um, by FDA at that time, and it became a standard of care for stroke. Um, there is multiple agents right now. There is only a one single agent, what we call Alteplase, is approved right now for use in patients with a stroke. When patients have a stroke, in the first few hours, in the first three hours, that's the best time where we can give the drug, where the benefit is maximum, the side effect is minimal. Now, in certain patients, we can give this clot-busting medication up to four and a half hours. There is some new data suggest we can give it longer in the longer term. However, it's still um, in its very beginning, and it's not a standard of care yet. So the standard of care to give it within three hours, we can extend that time window in certain patients when the brain looks still alive and salvageable up to four and a half hours. Um, again, this is a very short period of time when you think three hours and four and a half hours because um, patient has to have somebody available when they have a stroke who notify basically the ambulance services, bring the patient as soon as possible. So three hours is a very short period of time. And that's why, again, when patients recognize the sign of symptoms on stroke, they cannot sit on it. They cannot wait. They cannot wait for somebody to drive them to the hospital. They have to call 911 immediately because this three hours pass really fast. And it doesn't mean if we give it at four and a half hours, it's okay because it means the sooner, what I meant when we talked about time, the sooner we give it, the better. So although we say there is a window of three hours, but if we can give it in one hour or one and a half hour from the time of stroke, the benefit is definitely significantly more than if we give it in a delayed fashion. Yeah, and is this something that, that can be administered prior to even getting to the hospital, that maybe the EMS doctors or EMS um, drivers notice and, and can recognize that, or how does that work? Unfortunately, not at this time. Um, the reason behind that, if you remember when we talked about the two different type of stroke, there is what we call the hemorrhagic stroke and the ischemic stroke. And clinically, there is no good way to know which type of stroke the patient has. Um, if, the pa if we know for a fact that this is not a bleed, it's a good idea because it would be a really bad idea to give patient with a brain a bleed, uh, the clot-busting medication. Now, to answer your question, there is what we call a mobile stroke unit in certain cities, especially in a very crowded cities where ambulance services um, struggle to get to the hospital. Um, they have what you call a mobile stroke unit where the ambulance car, the ambulance car itself, it has a CAT scan or a CT scan machine that can scan the brain there and identify that this is not a bleeding stroke and then patient can receive the clot busting in the ambulance service itself. Um, so we've seen that for the last, I would say, probably eight years. Certain cities now implement this, especially cities that struggle with the traffic and triaging patient. So very good question. And we hope we're going to be seeing more of, you know, one day more of this implemented um, nationwide where patient can receive the clot busting or any life-saving treatment in general as soon as possible. Um, this way, the ambulance service can be 
part of you know administering this life-saving treatment um, and not have to wait till they come to the emergency room to do that. Absolutely. Uh, even still, I know you had mentioned this is happening in other cities. Here in our community, the, the EMS drivers, the nurses that you work with, those types of things, can you talk a little bit about just that continuity of care and how important it is for everybody to sort of work together when it comes to treating a stroke patient? Absolutely. In order to have a good outcome when we treat stroke patient, um, it's not a one-man or a one-person job. This is has to be um, almost a community effort to do that. Um, when we decide, when any um, healthcare system decide to build a stroke program, we start not just in the hospital itself to initiate this, but also from the community. The first and most important step is education, and we talked about that briefly about educating the patient about um, stroke, about stroke prevention, about the sign and symptoms of stroke. The second, as important um, as educating patient, is also working with our EMS services. Um, our services around here in Brown County and around our areas are fantastic. They're, they have a great education. We help uh, providing these educations um, for the ambulance services. Um, that education basically help the EMS personnel to learn about signs and symptoms of stroke as well, about triaging stroke, about early management of stroke. Um, then after that, obviously, is the role of the hospital when the patient comes to the right place to receive the treatment. Um, we work also after the patient gets the treatment in the hospital where the patient, we trying to work as hard as possible to bring patient back to the community as healthy and as independent as possible. Then we work with the rehab team, with the nursing home facility. So it's, as I mentioned, it's a whole community effort, basically. When, unfortunately, somebody have a stroke, it's going to be a lot of people and a lot of parties involved in taking care of this patient and trying to have the best outcome possible. Yeah, absolutely. And I know I know you and your team at Aurora Baker Medical Center were one of the first in the region to become a certified stroke center, I think way back in 2016. So could you talk a little bit about what that means as far as um, that certification and, and what that means for patient care? So the certification of comprehensive stroke center, it means Aurora Bay Care has the highest level of stroke care or stroke care certificate that's available to any facility. It means we're able to manage majority of the strokes, um, and provide care for the patient either with uh, uh, medications or with the procedure or surgery and also able to take care of those patients and have a big plan for the, these patients to go back to the community, as I mentioned, as independent as can be. Um, the other thing, having you know comprehensive stroke center, it means the hospital have um, met a very strict criteria um, that looked at how do we care for patients, how do we take care of patients, what kind of protocol do we have in place, what kind of training um, each uh, personnel, either technicians, nurses, surgeons, doctors, each one of um, us that's involved in stroke care have met this strict criteria to be able to care for these patients. 
So yeah, let's circle back to some of those treatment options um, that you had talked about. When a person is arriving at the hospital, um, you recognize that it's a stroke. What is the first step for that patient? So the most important step once the patient arrives to us is to to basically trying to recognize if this is a bleeding stroke or ischemic stroke because, um, as you can imagine, the treatment is completely different um, and it's actually the opposite sometimes treatment that's needed. Um, with ischemic strokes, for example, we, we would like the blood pressure to remain elevated till we determine if there is any other treatment needed versus with the bleeding, we would like to aggressively treat the blood pressure and lower it as soon and as fast as possible in a safely manner. So it is very important to recognize the type of a bleed. Every step after that dependent on this step. So once we recognize the type of stroke, um, nowadays almost on all patients, we have what we call vessel studies, um, CT angiogram, MR angiogram. When we use the word angiogram, it means angio means vessel, gram means picture. So we take a picture of the vessel immediately. And the reason of that, we can recognize where the problem is. Uh, if there is a big blockage in a large vessel or it's more of a small vessel, um, or if it is part of a very small vessel that we cannot normally see on those studies, but based on the clinical picture, we put the picture together, we can recognize the type of that stroke. So we start with a CAT scan, usually recognize if there is a bleed or not, and then we do an image study. And we can do sometimes more sophisticated images to identify if the tissue is still alive. We call them perfusion study. And based on all those studies, and they can happen in a very fast time, usually the patient within minutes from the time they come to our emergency room, they will be in a CAT scan. They will have these images within five minutes to 10 minutes maximum. And by then, we move from trying to guess what's going on and trying to clinically figure out what's going on to a really um, solid information where we understand exactly what we're dealing with and we provide the patient with the best management possible at that time. And you had mentioned the, the clot-busting drug being one of the first ways to treat um, some of these symptoms. Surgery is also a necessary part in some instances. Can you talk, uh, talk about that? So when we mention surgery, we I would like to probably refer to it as a procedure um, or intervention. Uh, basically, um, if the clot is too large to be dissolved by the clot-busting or the patient cannot receive the clot-busting, that's the time when we can go with the catheter and remove the clot. Um, we can use different systems available. Luckily, nowadays, um, we can go to that clot, either aspirated or we can drag it using a device called a stent. Um, we can infuse the clot busting on the clot itself. Um, luckily, nowadays, we have all those options to help patients when they have a large vessel stroke. Yeah, let's talk about the evolution of some of those treatments because I think, you know, when people think of stroke, they, they think of some of these lasting effects. But some of the treatment options that you have available really can provide better outcomes for patients, um, maybe without any lasting effects. So can you talk about how those treatments have sort of evolved? Absolutely. Um, you know, I when I start my training, when I started my training back in the days, I still remember in my first hospital, I saw brochures where talking about stroke 
and educational material for patient talking, the best treatment for patient is rehab. And that was really sad. Um, just indicating that there is no better option at that time. There is no uh, real treatment available for these patients. Luckily, nowadays, this is not acceptable anymore. Um, now, obviously, rehab is a very important part of patient recovery. Um, nowadays, there is a lot we can do when stroke happens, as I mentioned, from the clot-busting medication um, to the treatment with catheter. Um, there is a lot of effort in the past to try to do that. However, it was sporadic. It was not very systematic. We did not have any good devices. At the time when the TPA was invented, there was an effort at that time to try to take the drug using a catheter and put it on the clot itself. Um, it was very promising studies in the mid-90s, so that's where I would say that the field of procedure to treat stroke started. Um, in early 2000, exactly in 2003, the first device came out to treat stroke. It was not optimal, however, it gave um, some hope for a patient with a stroke. We suddenly able to open the vessel, not all the time, but probably a good 40-50% of the time, able to open a very large clot that in the past was almost impossible to treat. That evolved significantly in 2007. More aspiration system came out where we were able to suction the clot out. 2012, I would say it was groundbreaking for a stroke with the introduction of what we call stent retrieval. Um, it's a stent, which is a metal mesh tube, um, looks like almost Chinese finger trap. However, this device, we do not leave it into the vessel of the brain. We just leave it there temporarily to stick to the clot, and then we drag the clot out. This device in 2012, as I mentioned, was, invent was introduced, and studies basically um, followed that. 2015, I I would like to say that was a very, very important year for stroke because all this knowledge that we accumulated over the years of learning about stroke and different devices showed result finally. And we start noticing there is multiple trials came in early 2015 that shows the important and basically the importance of treating patients um, with these procedures. Multiple trials showed that the patients significantly benefit using those devices. Um, and that's very important because um, after that, it became standard of care. So it's kind of shocking to know that, unfortunately, all what we have to offer is barely six years old. So, however, it's great that we have this ability that we did not have before. Yeah, I mean, incredible to think that it's only six years old and, and, and to see how far that has come. What what does that mean for a patient um, who may be suffering from a stroke? What does that mean as far as their outcome and their hospital stays and those kinds of things? So, simply, I would like to, to say that stroke is a treatable condition. Um, not everybody going to do great. However, the chance of patient improving is significantly higher when the patient arrive to us in the right time. There is a lot of option that's available for patients nowadays. Um, when we treat patients um, with the clot-busting medication or with catheter-based procedure, now we're looking on in a lot of our patients for complete independency, for patients to resume their normal life. 
Um, some of those large vessel clot, what we call natural history. The natural history of some of these conditions was very grim. Some of the patient who comes with carotid artery occlusion, or they come with what we call large vessel occlusion, middle cerebral artery, which is a very large vessel inside the brain, the natural history for these conditions is around 9% of the patient only will have good outcome. That means more than 90% of the patient, um, they will do very badly, or majority of them actually might not survive that kind of stroke. Nowadays, we're looking of around 50 to 70 or percent of these patients achieving almost near complete or complete recovery. And that's a big difference between less than 10% or nearly 70% of patients achieving good outcome. Now I'm talking about the specific type of stroke, what we call a large vessel occlusion. But also with other kind of stroke, uh, with a small vessel stroke, with bleeding stroke, um, the ability to identify it early, the ability to manage it aggressively and early on also make a big difference as well in the outcome. We start seeing a lot of patients right now who lives almost a complete life, complete normal life, that the way they used to, um, with minimal effect of stroke. I mean, that's incredible. Um, I, I, we've just talked about the treatment options, and I, and I want to talk a little bit, too, about those risk factors that you had mentioned. Can strokes be prevented, or are there things that we can do just as individuals to, to reduce our risk of stroke? Absolutely. Um, talking about all the great stuff today that we do for stroke um, is very exciting, obviously. However, stroke is still a very concerning disease. Um, a lot of patients still suffer from stroke. Um, and the best management of stroke is prevention. There is no doubt about that. Um, stroke is a preventable condition. That's another message we like to always mention when we talk about stroke. Um, controlling risk factors is the most important way of managing stroke. The most important factor is what we call, or the most important strategy is what we call risk factor control or risk factor modification. Um, the risk factor we talked about earlier, the high blood pressure, diabetes, high cholesterol, smoking, atrial fibrillation, when patients recognize before having a stroke or after having a stroke, when the patient and his primary care recognize that the patient have some of those or these risk factors, these risk factors has to be aggressively managed. If the patient has high blood pressure, it should be treated aggressively and it should be treated according to the primary care recommendation, working with the stroke team um, to choose basically the best um, target for blood pressure. Um, when the patient have high blood pressure, that uh, I'm sorry, high cholesterol as well, that need to be aggressively treated, diabetes, atrial fibrillation. Um, the biggest struggle always, or the message that I try always to mention is, if your primary care recommended treatment for your blood pressure or cholesterol or diabetes, I recommend for the patient to listen, basically, um, to follow with the advice. Most of us, you know, tend to wait, tend to like to take our time. We would like to try other alternative therapy first, such as diet, or I'm going to try to reduce the salt. A lot of those can work and can reduce 
some of these risk factors. However, there is time where medication and medical management is still important and still necessary to reduce those risks. This way we can reduce the risk of stroke significantly. Lifestyle changes, um, exercise, healthy diet also play a significant role um, in reducing the risk of stroke as well. Let's talk about again, uh, if I am someone or someone who's with someone who might be experiencing a stroke, what are the most important things for me to do and, and how do we address that maybe during pandemic times? The most important thing is to stick with what we know that works best. Um, before the pandemic and during the pandemic. So basically what we say, early recognition of stroke. So we like for the person to recognize the sign and symptoms of stroke. FAST acronym is a very helpful tool to remember that. After the person recognizes these symptoms or the loved one, they need to call 911 immediately. Um, when they come to the hospital, they will have all the management strategy we talked about. Now, during the pandemic, there is always this fear about coming to the hospital, especially at the early um, months of the pandemic when there is a lot of uncertainty about what's going on. And the message we made very clear that the patient should continue to follow all the education that received previously, all the uh, strategy to recognize a stroke early and call 911 immediately. In the hospitals, we follow the most strict criteria um, in sanitation, in isolation, um, to ensure that patient will not be at risk uh, of contacting the virus, basically. Um, stroke is a very devastating disease, as we mentioned uh, today. And management of stroke can make the world of a difference in outcome. This is a very well-known fact. And the fear of contracting the disease is legit and it's reasonable. However, it should not prevent the patient from seeking the treatment that's proven to work and make a difference in outcome. Yeah, because let's reiterate again just some of the long-term effects of not seeking treatment for some of these stroke systems. What can happen to a person or what advice do you have for people? So if you remember when we talked initially about why stroke is scary, it's disability. Um, Stroke is the single leading cause of disability in the United States. Um, disability, it means somebody healthy, independent. Now they live um, dependent. They need help. Um, they can live in a nursing home. Uh, one of the scariest things, our patient always, when we see them in the clinic, they talk about their fear of stroke. They have much less fear of a lot of other conditions, um, but the word stroke, especially whoever lived through a family member suffering, with a family member who suffered a stroke. Um, it's a very devastating, it's a big burden, not just on the patient, the patient, the family, the community. So reducing that burden is definitely number one goal um, for um, any team or for the community or the team that manage stroke. Dr. Nurkamani, thank you for spending some time with us today. We've covered a lot of information. Is there anything else that you want to add? So the last thing, I want to just reinforce what we talked about uh, throughout this conversation. Um, it's very important for patients to recognize um, stroke. Remember the FAST acronym. F stands for facial weakness. A, arm or leg weakness. S, speech or language difficulties. And T, time to call 911. Remember, stroke is preventable. 
stroke is treatable. Um, the sooner you come to the hospital, the better chance of having um, a complete recovery. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. We really appreciate it. I think our listeners did too. Again, Dr. Darkabani is an interventional neurologist at Aurora Baycare Medical Center here in Green Bay, Wisconsin. For more information, visit baycare.net and stay tuned for more episodes of the Baycare Clinic podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you.